your uniqueness is strength, your, your the qualities that you possess that you feel are different, that you want to turn down, are actually the ones that you should turn up. What is going on, hurdlers? Emily Abadi here with episode 211 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential, and of course, have some fun along the way. Man, I hope everyone had an excellent holiday weekend. I myself enjoyed some time here at home, prepping to head out soon to the World Track and Field Championships out in Eugene, Oregon. I have some details coming about hurdler meetups, hangs, if anyone's going to be in town, I hope to see you there. I am going to be doing some hosting for ASICs on the ground, and I could not be more amped. I am also amped about today's conversation. I am chatting with the one, the only Harper Waters. Harper Waters, an unbelievable dancer, a first soloist for the Houston Ballet. And I absolutely loved the opportunity to sit down with Harper because as a gay African-American ballet dancer, he is making waves. That is such an understatement. In today's episode, he talks about how he's truly hoping to open doors for the next generation and inspire them to try whatever it is that lights them on fire. We chat about his journey, detailing everything from coming out to his family at 14 to working his butt off to get to where he is in the Houston Ballet, what it was like for him as a performer to navigate the last few years in a pandemic, and how he used that time to level up on social media, amassing hundreds of thousands of followers across Instagram and TikTok, doing things that he loves, like casually walking on a treadmill in heels. Yeah, I'll link that. I'll link that in the show notes today. There are so many really great takeaways in this conversation, but what I really, really love is this through line of feeling the fear and doing it anyway. I love what Harper says about if you're scared to face something head on, and so often, I mean, that's something that we all feel, right? If you're scared, it's not something to run from because that fear can be your teacher. I'm telling you, great episode, great combo. A huge thank you to Harper for your time. As you'll hear at the top end of this, we did record this in June. So naturally, we had to touch on all things pride. Make sure you're following along with the show over on social. It is at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And if you're listening to this and you haven't rated and reviewed the show yet, I don't know what you are waiting for. Seriously, go do it. Give it five stars. Tell the people why you love Hurdle and what keeps you coming back week after week. And for that, I am so, so thankful. With that, let's get to hurdling.
today I am sitting down with Harper Waters. He is the first soloist for the Houston Ballet. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you here today. I feel like I was looking for a dose of sunshine and I know that you're here to bring it for me. Yes, I'm I'm bringing the Houston sunshine, which means it's bright and hot. Hot. <laughs> what temperature are you working with down there right now? I think we're working with a cool 90 plus, I think. We are 90 plus because we are also in June. June also Pride Month. Are you celebrating? What are you doing? Tell me about your plans. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I think that it's, uh, I definitely am going to celebrate. Uh, we are busy here working um, at the ballet. We have shows here through June 26th, but um, so we're, you know, we're busy, but I, I tend to celebrate pride year round. It's a, it's a act of lifestyle. And, and, um, but I think that pride is a wonderful reminder of where we've come from and what we need to acknowledge about how we've, you know, whose shoulders we stand on. And so to have a month to do that, I think it's really important, but pride is definitely something that I rely on year round, not just for my identity and just who I am as a person, but who I am as an, as an artist when it comes to uh, being the best dancer that I can be. And I know that one of the things that initially drew you to getting involved in dance was just how accepting that ballet was when it came to LBGTQ. So for you now, being such an outspoken advocate for so many things, of course, um, inclusivity being one of them, how does it feel for you to like be that representation now, to be the person at the forefront that is standing up? Oh, gosh. You know, it's it's a, it's been an interesting journey. It's one that I'm still on. And like you were saying, my introduction to dance was more, uh, I was more seeking the community aspect of it. I was more seeking that sensation where, because in the studio, it was like I could turn the volume up to 10 on who I was. Um, there was a sense of security. And then there was, and when I was outside of the studio, I didn't really have that. Figuring that out and learning to find that and bring that into my work uh, has been an act of advocating for myself. I had to advocate for my my talent and my identity and my um, sexual orientation. And by doing that, I somehow have <laughs> have cultivated this community and been a representative for um, just living your best life <laughs> and living it, <laughs> you know, living it authentically. And so, I. I am so honored and proud that it resonates with people, but it's like selfishly, I had to do it for myself because in order for me to be the best version of myself, the best dancer, the best human, um, I had to advocate for myself. And so in doing so, living prideful and living um, a wholesome, well life is what is, is what that required. How old were you when you came out? I was 14 and I remember vividly it was me watching America's Next Top Model, and I saw Miss J, the runway coach, and I was like, that is me. Um, and I knew that there was some sort of confidence and there was some sort of free spirit that Miss um, J possessed. And so I turned off the TV and casually strutted my way down the stairs and said, Mom, Dad, um, this is who I am and this is what I love. And um, yeah, it was a... Uh, of course, I had to make some sort of event and moment out of it, like I do everything. So 
but it was, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Would you say to... that it was kind of like you were on autopilot at that moment or did you have like anxiety and nerves to go down there and have that conversation? Yeah. So it was very surreal. It was like, I felt like I was walking on a cloud. It was like the cloud took me to my parents. I just felt overcome with this sense of purpose. Um, the anxiety and fear came more after um, after I came out. I was petrified to go back to school. I was um, t- I was creating these scenarios of um, you know being bullied or being not accepted. And looking back, I really think that's because of how the media portrayed gay people. And it was, there was never these success stories. It was these acts of fear or bullying um, and being different. And um, it somehow I've, I've, I've created this environment on through social media and the content I've created in being a dancer where you can accept who you are, accept what you love, and you can do it success, successfully, be successful at what your, your passions are. And so, um, I tried to be the visibility that I that I needed when I was 14. Um, and so that it's not this fear-induced scenario that you're creating for yourself um, at 14 when you come out. Yeah, you standing up then, I mean, it's beautiful that you're willing to put yourself out in front, but that visibility comes with its fair share of criticism, the stuff that you were so scared of is, you know, what you deal with regularly. Now I've seen like some of the posts that you've put up on social and all of this critique and like horrible, horrible humans that have horrible, horrible things to say. How have you learned to, to navigate that part of being an advocate? Well, you know, I'm not sure if it's a blessing in disguise, but being a dancer, I think has created um, a tough skin for me. And it is just part of the our job to um, be critiqued and to have um, corrections and to take people's opinions and from our coaches and how to do things. And um, I stare at myself in, a, in front of a mirror for, you know, seven plus hours a day, um, trying to be better and trying to identify ways that I can improve. And somehow that has built a tough skin. So by putting myself out there. It's a really difficult thing to put yourself out there in in a studio and to dance and to be, you know, uh, just not judged, but seen by people. I look at posting things on social media in a similar way. And so when I get these critiques and, you know, really vile things, uh, I have a confidence and I have a strength that allows me to deal with it. But I'm really aware that not everybody has that. You know, I had two parents that were super supportive and super loving of me. And I have managed to join a company that is 60 plus dancers that are like family to me. And that's not the case for everybody. There are people who are isolated. There are people who are, um, who don't have that family dynamic. And so um, I just by, like I was saying, by advocating for myself, by doing well for me, by taking care of who I am, um, I hope that I show people that um, you have community out there and that there are people and the, and, and the chosen family is just as strong as the, um, you know, your born in family. And so 
um, yeah, navigating it is tough. I want to read people all the time. I wish that I didn't take such grace with it, you know, and block people's usernames out when I when I post them. You know, I really would like to drag them through the mud, but um, giving them the attention, I just don't think is. Um, I don't think they deserve it. That's a hard lesson to learn. Totally, totally. You mentioned standing in front of a mirror for seven plus hours a day. For some, that literally sounds like their own version of personal hell, not because I'm sure for you standing in front of a mirror for seven hours a day is a lot of movement and activity and athleticism, which we'll get to in a little bit, but also because I'd be damned if I didn't say that opens you up to a lot of self-critique. Can you talk to me about what your relationship has been like with your body as you have progressed as a dancer? It comes down to really that what the art form of ballet is very antiquated and the ideals that it's built on the the physical image of it is just it's a, it's outdated. And looking at the top of of what successful dancers looked like and have um, been, I knew that I didn't fit that. And I knew that I didn't possess a lot of qualities that those dancers possessed, skin color, sexual orientation. Um, my booty, you know, like, it's like, I'm a black dancer. So it's having curves. And, um, and so at the age of 14, 15, in making the decision to pursue this as a career, I really thought that I had to hide those things. And I had to apologize for those things. And I had to show up to work and try and be something that I physically was not. And that created a real issue in my dancing because it was like the standstill of saying nothing and doing nothing because I was working so hard to not be who I was. And mm. it really wasn't until I, you know, it actually really wasn't until I started doing social media and found this way of authentically sharing my passions that made me happy outside of the studio and brought me joy and uh, brought a response from people that I had never met before. I was reaching people that um, had no idea what it was to be a ballet dancer and had no idea that I was a dancer. And pulling from that and bringing that into the studio um, gave me a lot of motivation and inspiration to try to be, um, or just to accept who I was <laughs> and to start putting elements of that into my dancing. And I started liking what I saw more in the mirror. I saw, um, yeah, it just, there's this, un, I feel like there's this indescribable feeling of when you just know something is right. And my dancing started to feel like that. Um, and it was a really beautiful thing. It was a scary thing. It, was, it wasn't an easy thing. Um, but learning to, to implement um, more of Harper into my dancing was ultimately the, the push I needed to be on the path that I'm on now. And your note about feeling as though you didn't necessarily feel comfortable walking out and like being in your own skin a lot of people feel like that all the time, whether or not they're standing in front of a mirror for seven plus hours. Right. You had to learn these lessons in your own way. But if you had to offer advice to anyone who may just be feeling unsettled, what would you tell them? 
You know, so I'm, I'm adopted and I come from a biracial family. Both my parents are white and Caucasian. And uh, I struggled with this idea of being different and standing out. I was super, super aware of when like waiters at restaurants would be like, are you together? Like, are you know, like are, when they would seat us. And um, it was this re- this thing of overcoming this idea of standing out and being different and learning to use that as um, a powerful thing that now that I stand out or if I stand out, I'm going to use that to my advantage. I have your attention. Now I'm going to show you my work and I'm going to show you what I'm about. And using the um, your uniqueness, your um, that is strength, that is power. It's not something that it's like, I, I, I can do at the, you know, snap of a finger, but um, just reminding myself that your uniqueness is strength, your, you know, the qualities that you possess that you feel are different, that you want to turn down are actually the ones that you should turn up because, uh, you know, my, my teacher here, my, uh, my boss, he said, you're never going to get the perfect wave. It's about riding the wave you're given. And it's like, you're never, it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. And so I try to, with my dancing, understand that I might fall out of a turn. I might look a little weird at that moment, but if I'm saying something intentional behind my dancing, then that's, that's what's important. And so um, intention behind your, your um, ownership of self is um, really, really important. Super important. We've mentioned a few times or referenced a few times your social media. So just so everyone's on the same page here, you've got something near 250,000 followers over on Instagram. You've also got a following on TikTok. Yes. <laughs> so before we dive back into your backstory, give us a little insight as to how growing on that platform has been for you. It's seemingly a positive experience. You talk about the community that you cultivated over there and it really empowering you to come out into your own. So when did social media become a really big part of the game for you? Oh my goodness. Um, I first joined Instagram, I believe in like 2014, 2015. And I was one of those who like thought that it was just purely to like show what you were eating and, you know, (laughs) put like a real heavy filter on it and call it a day, you know, and then what it was is I looked at it as a way to showcase my company. I was surrounded by so many talented people um, and I would show us dancing and starting to have people that I never met or, um, you know, who I knew comment and like what I was doing. It inspired me to post more. Um, But I created a video where I was running on a treadmill in pink heels with my best friend And um, that went, at the time, it went viral. And I considered myself a full-blown celebrity. I was like, (laughs) I've made it. You know, this is it. Give the people what they want. And so I started um, posting a lot more videos of us doing crazy things on treadmills. But it quickly became something that I was aware of, that I was like, do I want to be known as the high-heeled, treadmill running person when I feel like there is so much more to who I am. And so I feel like what I did is I, cause those got a lot of views. I would take those videos and I would post one. And then the next post I would share me at work, or I would talk about being a black dancer, or I would 
incorporate something with fashion. And I really built this community. We have this saying in dance where it's quality over quantity. And I was really just aware of not building something that was purely based on numbers, but it was based off of the quality of people that was um, interested in what I did. And in continuing to do that, I saw responses from brands and from businesses that wanted to uh, work with me. And it was like really surreal moving here to Houston at 16 years old on my own pursuing ballet. And here I am you know, traveling to New York to shoot a Pride campaign with Ralph Lauren. It was very, very, you know, surreal. And so um, I just trusted my instinct. I trusted my gut and continued to do that. Um, I don't know if you knew, but the past two years we've been in a pandemic. Don't know if you knew that. (laughs) Don't Um, know if you're familiar. Don't know if you're familiar. And I succumbed to this little app called TikTok. It gave me every bit, bit of energy I needed during my you know living on my own with my dog and i was like am i going to be a dancer again well if i'm not i'm gonna dance to this audio of cardi b saying coronavirus uh and (laughs) so i i discovered tiktok over the pandemic and again it was this freedom of sharing and i connected to the music and the audio and um it was it just was kind of like another step based off of um instagram Uh, And so I'm so happy that I have it because I think social media has a bad rap sometimes that it's this, you know, uh, inauthentic, fake world, which sure, I can see people who, you know, participate in that. But I really felt like it was a platform of, um, for me, um, if you do it insightfully and authentically of um, creating a world that was allowing people to, to see who you are. And so I view my social media like that. Um, And if it resonates with people, thank you. I want to go back to your beginnings as a dancer and talk a little bit about your exposure and how you got started. So I know young age, but (laughs) take us from there. So like I said, I was, I was adopted. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was adopted at two weeks. And both my parents are um, former English professors. And my dad is currently a state senator of New Hampshire Um, but there was this, and I know that there was this understanding of an appreciation for the arts. And, um, I'm very grateful for that because as an only child who was obsessed with movement and rhythm, I, um, constantly was putting on shows and seeking the attention of my parents. Um, and they, succumbed to that. My dad built me, you know, my own balance beam so I could be like Dominique Dawes because I was obsessed with seeing her in the Olympics. Um, And I would put on my own shows of, you know, one person nutcrackers in my living room. And it was, I mean, my parents knew that there was some sort of performance element, um, arts related world that I was going to be a part of. And like I said, when I came out when I was 14, I was going to private school um, where there was, I was lucky to have dance as an elective um, there. And I knew that I could dance. But more importantly, I was like, I watched TV. I watched The Real World. I, I watched, you know, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I knew there were gay people in the arts. And there was a performing arts high school, the Walnut Hill School for the Performing Arts um, in Natick, Massachusetts. Um, that was about an hour and a half away. 
uh, and I forced my parents to let me audition there. And so the summer before my sophomore year of high school, I auditioned and I was accepted. And it was like gay utopia for me. I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, I had no idea that arts and a ballet career was a sustainable job. I was more going for, uh, I was like, I'll go to, I'll go to college and major in dance, which is completely uh, fine and in an amazing career. But this performance and, and, and working as a professional dancer, I, I didn't really understand until I was there. And I was sent on a summer intensive um, in 2009 to come to Houston. And um, that's when I was 16 years old. And I actually auditioned for the second company here without telling my parents during that summer program. And um, I was accepted. And um, when, I, when I joined the second company here, and, you know, even when I got into performing arts high school, when I got into the summer intensive here, every every moment has felt like I had a, a foot in the door and to make the most of that opportunity because it felt like, you know, life was giving me this once in a lifetime moment that I had to make the most of. Um, and so I really turned up the volume on my work ethic and really, really focused because it just felt like where I who I was and where I was coming from that this moment ne- wouldn't really happen <laughs> again or as or as frequently as as I would hope um, and after doing two years in the second company I was offered a job in the main company in 2011 when I was 18 and so I joined Houston Ballet which is the fourth largest ballet company in the U.S. Um, in 2012 I was promoted to the Corda Ballet which is like the largest section in the company um, where you start out in 2016, I was promoted to demi-soloist. 2017, I was promoted to soloist. And in December of 2021, I was promoted to the rank of first soloist, which um, I'm the highest ranked Black queer dancer for the Houston Ballet. No big deal. So much to unpack here. We have to double click on the fact that your father works in politics. Has that ever been something that makes you anxious or do you ever feel the need to reevaluate maybe how you're showing up there or how does that impact you? My, my, both my parents are, are, you know, my biggest inspirations, my dad's career in politics before becoming a state Senator, he was a state representative and he worked on the campaigns of Kerry and Gore and Obama. Um, and my mother has been, although she has not had an official title, she has been an outspoken, opinionated, um, <laughs> you know, focal point for my father. And uh, it's so funny. One of the things that embarrassed me most about my mom growing up was her outspokenness. And at events with my dad, she would ask, I remember her raising her hand and asking Hillary Clinton a question that was sort of controversial and I was mortified. And <laughs> uh, she continues to this day to do that. But what was so embarrassing about her has been what I admire most about her now and what I try to carry with me in my um, you know, advocacy work and um, being uh, able to call out uh, and identify um, bad behavior or, um, you know, and my dad, how he stands up for his community is also really inspiring to me. It's also really interesting because my cousin is currently the leading nightline um, Fox News correspondent. 
And so uh, we live a life of contrasting political views in this family. Just trying to find ways to unify is really important in our family. Um, and something that has brought me um, a challenge, but also something that I try to do in my work as well. Um, trying to identify ways that we can all unite over something despite having opposing um, ideas on other things. Yeah, I, I really feel this deeply. My, you know, parts of my family also don't share the same political beliefs as me. And I come to every conversation with the mindset that you and I don't have to agree on something, but that doesn't mean that we can't be good to one another. We can't move forward together. And so I love where you're coming from with that. It's just so important to have grace and compassion for everyone just because they don't stand on the same side of an issue doesn't mean that they're not a good human. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So you have this longstanding love affair with dance and rise through the ranks. I would argue like fairly quickly over in Houston, you know, it's interesting that you were like, uh, the top, you know, black LGBTQ dancer at the Houston ballet, but it's no secret diversity in ballet as a whole, there's still a wide way for us to go. So yeah. for you, have you found it to be exciting to be paving the way forward here? Or does it feel intimidating? You know, you mentioned the people that inspire you when we were talking about your inspirations growing up. You said Miss J. You were talking about Dominic Dawes, like so much goodness. And sometimes in order to be it, you have to see it. And now yeah. people are seeing you and you're that for them. So just talk to us a little bit about what that's like. Yeah. So uh, yes, it was and is and will continue to be intimidating. Um, you know, off of this summer, you know, dealing with a pandemic, but also a huge, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement was huge. And um, I felt this huge responsibility for being one of few in an art form of many that um, I had to do a lot. I had to say a lot. I had to be present for a lot. And it was this overwhelming responsibility because navigating people at the top who are not in your shoes and don't live your lifestyle and um, their opinions and having co tough conversations uh, where the power dynamic is different when I'm a dancer to uh, now being uh, just a human <laughs> being and a and a and a and a person with them, uh, it was it was difficult and I did really overextend myself and um, it was too much for me and. Uh, what I was doing in the studio as an artist by really taking care of my dancing and who I was, you know, as a person and taking care of my body and really putting a lot of work and attention into my dancing. I thought and, and understood that that in itself is um, doing the work as well. Um, and being present and taking care of my job and wanting to be the best dancer I could be in itself is a form of activism and representation that um, I didn't I didn't think it was until um, I got promoted and someone said you're now the first and that is activism and so instead of um, overexerting myself in areas that brought me stress and and felt that um, I had to do work that in fact I didn't actually have to do and wasn't required of me and shouldn't have been required of me, 
my work is meant to be the dancer and, and meant to be the artist and meant to be Harper. Uh, and um, learning that that was activism in itself um, was a real pivotal point in my, in my career. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, Inside Tracker. Now, when you do what you love, for me, that's running. For you, maybe that's hiking, enjoying the great outdoors. Well, whatever it is, you'll want to do it for life. And Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you and offer science backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. It has been so helpful for me. I literally just scheduled my next ultimate test. I am amped to do a little bit of investigating to see where my body is at as I go into this next marathon buildup. I want to prioritize my health. If you're listening to this podcast, I know that you do too. And yes, Inside Tracker can help with that. It also tracks your progress every day, every step of the way toward reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. For a limited time, you can get 20% off of the entire Inside Tracker store by heading on over to insidetracker.com/hurdle. Again, that is insidetracker.com/hurdle. Also, I want to give some love to my sponsor at Element. Element makes a science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. It is my summer staple. Now, trust me, I've tried so many electrolytes over the years as I've trained for marathons and navigated goodness, long bike rides, and Element is my favorite to date, which is saying a lot. Formula, really high caliber. It is plant-based with no sugars, no fillers, gluten, or other sketchy ingredients, and I love their flavors. My go-to right now, okay, it's a tie between the grapefruit and the watermelon. I adore both, and literally, I look forward to drinking this before Saturday long run, like it is the best part of my pregame situation. Next to, okay, okay, next to my Nespresso. But so many different flavors, a taste for everyone, and you can try them all because Element is offering a free sample pack with any purchase. That's right, a free sample pack with any purchase. So head on over to drinkelement.com. That's drink, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash hurdle to get yours today. Again, that is drinkelement.com slash hurdle to get a free sample pack with purchase. That concept of feeling as though you need to say something, but being unsure of what you want to say or if you want to say anything at all. And sometimes it's not the if you want to say something, but also the pressure to feel as though what you're saying is quote unquote, the right thing. It's just so complicated. Totally. For me, one of the biggest things I I learned over the past few years was just being able to identify when something makes you uncomfortable and that that shouldn't be something that you accept. Um, But when it comes to 
real change and real work that is implemented into these organizations, not just a ballet company, but big brands and big companies, um, there are people that have devoted their life to this work. And we should turn to them and we should listen to them. Um, and, uh, you know, I was trying to take on a lot and, and be a lot for people that was um, too much for me. But there are young Black dancers, there are young um, Asian, there are young Latinx dancers who are joining the company. And being a resource for them and being uh, an ally for them um, is where I can lend myself. And my work in um, how I approach my work is, if you know, trying to be the best dancer I can be for myself by inspiring them. That is activism. That is work. And so I, I look at it like that. Can we talk a little bit about the athleticism that goes into your profession? Because it's sure. not like you just show up and all you do is dance all the time. There's more than that. So can yeah. you shed some light on what your week of movement might look like? Yes. So, well, like I said, I'm 30 now, so it looks a little different than when I started, <laughs> you know. Um, but we here at Houston Ballet, we have a 44-week contract. We have the longest contract in uh, Ballet, which is very long, and we're very grateful to be worked uh, working that much. Um, but I work five days a week. We work Tuesday to Saturday. We have a 10 o'clock ballet class, which is an hour and a half, where we start 45 minutes at the bar doing you know basic exercises to warm up and then we move into center um, which is a bit more free form moving um got a 15 minute break to you know grab a protein bar maybe make a call do something and then um, we jump into rehearsals for six hours um, until 6 45 um, and we do that five days a week uh, when we're in shows we have a little bit of a later start we start at around 12 12 30 um, and we're in the theater until 10.30. And so for the past six weeks here in Houston, uh, we've been going uh, nonstop because we have, you know, depending on the rep, we um, do two weekends, three weekends, four weekends, but we're doing six weekends this year of um, shows, um, which are a lot of rehearsals and um, a lot of physically demanding movement and partnering and uh, also acting and um, character development. Um, which is in itself exhausting as well. But um, it's a really, it's just a, such a unique thing to call yourself a ballet dancer and to be a ballet dancer um, and to have this beautiful balance of athleticism with artistry um, and to transform into characters and to tell stories and to tell your own story through dancing um, and movement is a really beautiful thing. So um, we're do, we, we do a lot. <laughs> we do a lot. We do a lot. How do you recover? Oh, goodness. You know, it's so funny. I just posted a story on my Instagram yesterday and I was like watching the housewives and I was like, you know, some dancers do like Epsom salt, some do like <laughs> ice. And I'm like fully binging the real housewives of Atlanta. Now, you know, my, as you get older and, or even if the more you dance, the more work is required for you outside of the studio. You know, I used to be able to sort of just stroll into class a little bit uh, later than I should um, but now the recovery process is just as important as the warming up process and just as important as the dancing that I'm, you know, doing in the studio. Um, nutrition and wellness has been a huge uh, 
resource for me and something that I rely on heavily. Um, you know, when you're tw- in your twenties and late, you know, late teens, you're like, what I put into my body doesn't matter because I have a fast metabolism and hangovers don't exist. No, you know, 25 hit and it was like lower back pain, uh, financial stress and, you know, hangovers, but, um, <laughs> but it, it, you know, in, in all seriousness, it, it really is just like a full-time, a full-time thing. And so, um, figuring out what works for my body and, and how I can be um, set up best. So when I enter the studio, I'm at my best has been um, really, really vital for me. When you're not dancing, how are you spending your time outside of watching The Real Housewives? <laughs> well, I, I'm i a worker bee. I, um, I don't know if it's because I'm a Capricorn. I don't know if it's because I'm an only child and I've always just had to keep myself going. Um, but I, sh- I, I create a lot of content. I'm, you know, I'm trying to build something off of what I've created because I'm well aware that I'm not going to be, you know, a dancer forever. And so I consider the work that I have on my free time um, just as important. It also is, you know, I do understand taking baths is really lovely. I love, I don't know why I started taking baths so late in life, but like baths are it. Like, <laughs> they are it. <laughs> I mean, I put like, I love an Epsom salt bath. Yeah. I would always hear the older dancers like saying, oh, I can't wait home to go and take a bath and like get home and take a bath. And I was like, why are you going to take a bath? Like you should be like watching like TV or something. No, it's like these like little rewards, but, um, and, and just being with friends and, yeah, it's just it's little things that that I do on my free time. But really, I, it is crazy how much I try to um, create and, and do things on my free time. Do you think that as you have started to create more frequently, it has been almost essential that you show up even harder in your dancing because of maybe unsolicited feedback or opinions on trying to do both? You know, it's funny that you say that because I think that one of my biggest challenges, I think I I know that on face value and the content I create, I I have this persona of complete ownership of self and confidence. And, you know, uh, Beyonce has her Sasha Fierce. I consider my alter ego Sashay Fierce. But it's one of the biggest struggles that I've been having this year inside the studio and outside of the studio is being told what to do. that there's one way to do it and people's opinions of it's hard for me to navigate, you know, and I under, and when someone says, this is how you should do it, or that's not reading well, or try it like this, I am struggling personally with how do you know, or why, you know, and, um, can you give me an example? For example, there's this role that I did in a ballet called Don Quixote and it's a, it's, it's a Spanish ballet. So lots of, bravoure movement and you know matadors and i did it with the lead matador and he has this dance with a woman and our coach was she was saying you need to whisper these sexy things in her ear and you you need to make her swoon and but you're just smiling a little so and you're smiling too much and it looks too friendly well am i not allowed to be friendly this is how i'm this is this is how i'm doing it 
Um, and you know, I would every time I would do a run of the dance, she would say, "It's good, it's good, but you're just doing it like this." And she goes, "It's just a little too much." And I was like, "It's a little too much, what?" You know, and I kind of I just knew what she was implying, um, and navig, you know, figuring out that and and why does it have to be one way when you know ballet is an art form that's d- delivered and taught from the people who have done it before us. Um, and so being a part of the change, I think, and in, in, in shifting the uh, image of what ballet looks like and how ballet is done and uh, is, is, is challenging. And that's one of the challenges where I feel um, is most challenging. Mm-hmm. Well, I also feel as though like within ballet for so long, you know, it has been this idea that men are supposed to appear like hyper masculine. And so for you to show up and be your authentic self, I can understand why that can be a little bit stressful, but it also, as we've kind of touched on thus far, will be empowering and will continue to inspire others to embrace their authentic selves. Yeah, totally. And you know, the ballet Don Quixote is an old ballet. And we have been fortunate enough recently to have choreographers come in who are new choreographers and are, when they come in, they ask us for, they say, bring more of who you are into this, you know, and bring more of your identity and yourself into it. And then when I do that, my dancing feels so much better. It's when I am trying to be a character or someone's idea of something, um, I feel super, super restricted. And it, I think when I first started out, I would take that as, oh, you're right. I have to be like this. Now it sort of infuriates me and makes me frustrated um, because I am the dancer. I'm the artist. I have to respect the people in the front of the room. Um, but it's sort of hard to respect what's in the front of the room when I feel like who I am is being disrespected. So um, figuring that out has been has been a challenge. But uh, again, I just think just taking care of myself and continuing to show up is part of the is part of the change. And so I will continue to do that until I can. Yeah. For you, what excites you right now, either in work or outside of work? Um, people who uh, the hustle the hustle really inspires me. Um, I love social media um, and Instagram and TikTok because I, th- I think of it as a perfect uh, uh, tool for discovery. I've discovered so many um, creatives and watching their journey and watching them flourish and watching them receive the flowers that they deserve and achieve the things that they want, that's inspiring to me. I look back at the roles that I danced and look at the roles that I've danced now um, and that excites me. I've seen fashion designers like Christian Christopher John Rogers, who um, is just making the clothes that he's envisioned, you know, on on Fashion Week and, and down the runway of, of the biggest fashion stage. And um, that inspires me. And the housewives inspire me. You know, media, media inspires me. Um, seeing my friends, um, like one of my good friends, he just... Um, booked the role of, um, or his show Queer as Folk started. And I know how much he's, you know, gone to auditions and 
put in the work and that you don't really see. And it looks like now all of a sudden it's just there um, and he's and he's winning. And so seeing artists and creatives and people um, flourish and um, achieve the things that they want, um, that that's exciting to me. What do you want? Oh, I will say this. I, 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 I think I mentioned it earlier. I moved here for ballet. And being the best dancer that I can be for myself has opened up so many doors that I never thought were possible. Like, f- truly never thought possible. And so I will continue being the best dancer that I can be. And um, if that perhaps gives me my own talk show, I will welcome that. If that gives if that gives me a book deal, why not? But if that if that allows me to inspire someone to step into a dance studio who never thought that it was possible for them, um, that's what I want as well. But I just want I think what I will say is I want ballet and dance to be appreciated mainstream um, as much as other art forms and other um, you know, athletic um, jobs or opportunities. Um, And that's not a financial thing. That's not a monetary thing. But just I want it to be appreciated uh, fully. And I want the image of what it is to be a ballet dancer, um, what a ballet dancer looks like, what a ballet dancer um, does, who they love, who they are. I want that um, image to be broadened. And um, I'm doing it my way, and that there's there's others who are doing it their way. We're all you know unique and uh, independent in, in in our pursuit of this career. So I want that to be broadened. Uh, I love that. Will you talk to us a little bit about what it was like for you to return to the stage last summer? <sighs> wow, it was really nerve wracking, but it was also super super exciting. I put in a lot of work. I really ramped up my physical regimen in the gym and again with my nutrition and taking care of my body and um, because I had my routine as a dancer, a professional dancer stripped away from me for about a year and a half. Um, I was taking ballet class right here on this stairwell railing um, in my kitchen over Zoom trying to maintain any sense of technique that I had. Um, and so, uh, my first performance was a tour with two other dancers from Houston Ballet to Jacob's Pillow, which is a world-renowned ballet venue um, for companies. And I had to do nine shows of five ballets in the evening. And I was, I wasn't so nervous about doing it once. I was nervous about doing it nine times. <laughs> and um, you know, the physical element and the quality that I wanted to be able to put out there. Um, I was really nervous about, but I also, like we had been discussing, so much had happened in those two years. And I felt like I learned so much and discovered so much about who I was and that this was an incredible opportunity to return to the stage and say something with my dancing. Um, And so I was, yeah, I was excited, but I was nervous. Um, And I just was excited to show people the work because I would... I was doing Pilates upstairs in my room, in my bedroom every morning and I was eating right. And I was having my milk and coffee. I was having my milk and my protein shakes. I was doing that. I was clean eating. And so 
because I did that so diligently, I wanted, um, I wanted people to see that I did it diligently. <laughs> when you say that you want people to see what I have to say in my dancing, what would you say that you are trying to convey? Ooh, I'm wanting people to see me and want to say who is who is that what is that what that was that was I want to create a reaction um I just don't want to be up there doing steps and um I want some I want people to feel something I want people to understand something I want people to perhaps be taken on a journey you could also maybe not like what I'm saying that's cool too you know like have a have a reaction to something no reaction I don't think I did something um, mm. and, um, you know, that was one of my biggest challenges as a dancer joining the company. And I had meetings with my boss where he would say, you understand the choreography, you learn it really fast and, but you become a little bit complacent and complacency, uh, is not something that I, or complacent is not something that I like to be or want to be. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I want, I also want, I want people to view me as, a good dancer and um because i think and well i know i've encountered people who think that dancers just share the good parts of what they're dancing on stage you know on on social media they only share the good things um and then they're shocked about what they see on stage and i want people to know no 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 uh i'm i'm good at what i do because i work really hard at it um and I can put on the pumps, I can do the fashion, I can wash the housewives, but I can still be really good at, um, at ballet. <laughs> would you say, what would you say has been perhaps the most difficult part of this journey for you? Any specific event or time period outside of the pandemic, perhaps? Um. I think the the toughest parts were always when I didn't think that I belonged or um, that I wasn't, that I, that I wasn't right for something because of, and not because of a, um, of something that I could work on, but something that I just ultimately could not change. Um, uh, and that, that is something that, you know, being in a space and trying to succeed in a space that, um, historically says that you cannot succeed in um, is what is and was and is the biggest challenge um, but also what has brought the most reward and also the most gratification in my success um, knowing that I that I did it and also knowing that I did it when I was younger and felt like I couldn't do it um, mm. so um, that that probably has been, the biggest challenge. When someone comes to your social media page now, they see this stunning human with 250,000 followers, a ballet dancer. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? I really see, okay, I see someone fabulous. I see someone flawless. I see someone flexible. But most importantly, I see someone fearless. Oh, fearless. Great word. All the Fs. Look at all those Fs just like right on cue. We love it. Yeah. Okay. We're winding down here. Yes. Second to last question. 
Reflecting on your impressive career right now, would you say that there is a best piece of advice that you have learned or been offered along the way? Oh, gosh. I think I mentioned the quote was, you know, you're never going to get the perfect wave. It's about riding the wave you're given. And, you know, when I was told that, I was chosen by my director to represent the Houston Ballet in a ballet competition where you had to um, film a few variations and dances and write an essay. And one of the variations you had to dance was a, a one take video recording. And so I was very nervous about it, but I got time to rehearse it. And I was rehearsing with him and I fell out of a turn and I stopped and I didn't keep going. And he kind of looked at me and like paused the music and I was like, oh, he's going to rip into me and be like, why did you stop? You know, this is a, you know, you have to keep going. And that's when he said the quote, you're never going to get the perfect wave. It's about riding the wave you're given. And it's just, for me, it meant something about, it's so much more than the steps. It's so much more than this physical thing. You know, when you get into a company or when you get to a really elite level of whatever career you're in, it's, it's less about the technical elements and more about what you're saying and what you're doing. And that was a concept. I thought I had to get my leg to my face and do 20 pirouettes. No, I could, I could, you know, it's, it's saying something. It's having intention behind the step. It's making people feel something. And so that would be my best advice is to never, is to, you can work for perfection. You could aim for perfection. You should show up every day for perfection, but the quality of what you're saying and doing is so much more important. For sure. Right now, Harper, you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice looking back on the times where you felt unaccepted as you are. What would you tell yourself? Well, first I would say keep all the Crocs you had because they will come back in style. Um, <laughs> I, one, of the, one of the biggest things that I struggle um, in, that happened to me in my life was when I came out and I left high school. All right, and I and I went to performing arts high school, and um, it was that fear of of returning, and I told myself that it wasn't right for me, and I look back at that, and it's always my biggest what if moment because I don't think that I would tell someone now in that same position that you have to run from the fear because there are people there for you and that you do have community and that there will always be people for that, you know, and um, I definitely let fear get the best of me. And so, but I do also strongly believe in everything happening for a reason. And I feel like it put me in the place where I was meant to be and that um, it was meant to happen so that I could, you know, be sitting here today. So I guess what I would say to myself is to um, fear and, uh, you know, maybe anxiety or nerves just it means that you're on the brink of something great um you're about to discover something new you're about to learn something you're about to um have something pivotal happen to you whatever you know magnitude that is um and so if you're scared to face it head on um um, because you can do it um and that um it's not something to run from because um, you're going to learn something from it. So that's what I would say to myself. Feel the fear and do it. 
anyway. Harper, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Tell the hurdlers how do they follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me your details. I just tell people Google Harbor Waters and I'm the first one to come up. <laughs> Number one on the internet and in your hearts. I'm over at Hurdle Podcast at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>